Hi everyone, you are watching Behind the Pen with Karina Gantis. I am a prolific author of 13 titles. I'm an entrepreneur running Author Assist, which gives affordable services for independent authors. I'm also a YouTuber and I have my radio show on the Artist First Radio Network. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Today, I have the wonderful lady, Dreamer. Hello, Dreamer, how are you? I'm doing well, Karina. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. You'll have to um, say your full name because I'm not going to get it right. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Dreamer Drudge. Dreamer Drudge. You, that was it. I thought you had another name. Why did I have three? Oh, well, Sizemore is my maiden name. Uh, so, yeah. And, and I just, you know, use that in certain places. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I love the name Dreamer. That is so perfect for a, an author's pen name. I mean, is this your real name? <laughs> it is. My dad named me. I guess he thought when he first saw me that I looked like I was dreaming. And so he decided to call me Dreamer. <laughs> That's beautiful. Beautiful. So I don't, we've never met before, I know, I've seen nothing about your books or anything. Um, I'm just going to take a, a wild, wild guess with your name, Dreamer. Do you write <laughs> either fantasy or maybe children's books? Oh, you know, uh, I would love to write children's books. I haven't yet. I started on a story for my son when he was 11 and he's now in his late 20s, <laughs> but I haven't managed to finish it. So maybe one day I will for his Christmas or something, I'll get it finished. I'm actually a literary fiction writer. Um, and also um, this first novel of mine happens to also be historical fiction. I don't know that I'll always write that, but I have a particular interest in art fiction is what I call it. It's sort of a, a very niche sort of genre, if you will. Really niche, and you'll be a niche yes. marketplace as well. That's going to be a, a, maybe a hard one to, to, um, to, to find readers for, but we'll, we'll talk about that more anyway, because that's what I do, promotion <laughs> and marketing. But let's um, mm -hmm. go from the beginning. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself growing up. What sort of person, what sort of child were you? What were your family, <laughs> were they artists of sure. any kind? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I'm pretty typical for a writer in that I was an introvert. I loved to read. <laughs> Always, you know, my parents knew where I was. I was somewhere with the book and I was nice and safe with that. Um, I also, I grew up in West Virginia. I was born in New Jersey, but my parents were from West Virginia. And if you're in the States, you know that means it's very Southern. Uh, there were mountains um, and we lived right beside our family cemetery. So I could look up at our family cemetery up on the hill right above where our house was. Um, and so I was fascinated with cemeteries. I would go there and read sometimes. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that I didn't become a horror writer or anything like that, but I was, I was family, you know, <laughs> I was never scared. <laughs> wow, I don't know if I could uh, live with uh, right next to a cemetery because uh, I do have, um, I mean, I am, I, I write horror as well as other genres. But um, I do have this um, special um, fright for to when it comes to um, ghosts and spirits and stuff. There's, mm. there's, a, there's a, a warm, nice feeling when you think about spirits of what they are and what they present. 
but then when you read horror stories and you know that there's bad spirits, poltergeists and what have you, so there's like two sides to the uh, to this uh, um, liking or, or not liking uh, to live right next to a graveyard. Wow! Did you do graveyard uh, stone rubbings and stuff? Or you just sit there with a the book reading. Um, you know, I didn't do the rubbings. I didn't know about those at the time. I wish I had have known. Uh, but no, it, I would read or my friend and I would come up. Um, it was also, it sounds a little ghoulish, but there was a custom of doing dinner on the ground. So groups would honor their dead by occasionally coming and having a picnic. <laughs> That's yes. Really cool. That's really sweet. So um, what about um, when you left school? Um, got your job. Uh, what have you been doing over these years? Uh, mostly I've been freelance writing. So I did that from um, a very early age. I say I sort of took the mommy track in that um, I left school, raised our children, did some homeschooling, you know, sort of a combination of both of those. And then when my children grew up, I became a teacher of adult basic education um, and continued the freelancing as well. When you say freelancing, <clears throat> are we talking um, you're working for someone and they want an article on something, so you do the research, you write the article, you give it to them, they like it, you get paid, or are you writing the articles and then finding somewhere to put them? Um, well, it's usually I would pitch an idea. So I guess I kind of like to be the boss. And so I'm like, okay, I have this great idea, or at least I think it's great. What do you think? And then they would say yes or no. We would go from there. Um, I did have a stint for a couple of years at a, a local magazine. It was a women's magazine. And so that was nice to have sort of a niche. But when I was finishing up my first novel, um, my husband said, why don't you stay home, work on that. Don't worry about the freelancing. Don't worry about the teaching. And let's just get this novel finished up and polished. So. So I did. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's wonderful that you had the backing. Yes. So, so you knew at school that you always wanted to be a writer, no matter what kind? Oh, oh yes. Um, so when my parents moved the family to West Virginia, my grandfather, my father's father, had passed on, but he had left some poetry behind. And it was the first person I had known personally who had ever written. And I was, you know, eight or nine at the time. And I was just so taken that these books I loved, these words that someone accessible could have written, you know, and it, it sort of started something in me. And I wrote a really horrible poem. My first poem was about the sunrise and I can't tell you at all, I didn't save it. I just know it was about the sunrise and it was horrible. But to me, it was, it was a way to connect with my grandfather you know, who I'd seen in pictures and seen pictures of him with me, but I couldn't remember him. And so this was a way to do that. Yeah. And so that sort of sparked it. And from there, um, as I began reading more chapter books and that sort of thing, I thought, well, maybe I can give this a try. <laughs> so what was, I mean, there is one time in your life where you finally have that label, I'm a published author. What mm -hmm. was it? What, I'm assuming it was a, a freelance piece. What was the first thing you ever got published? <laughs> well, I kind of think of it as a, a progression. Um, so our church had a youth newsletter, and I wrote um, a couple of pieces in there. But then if I back up, 
in fifth grade, we had uh, we took a field trip, and our teacher wanted to write a little newsletter based on our field trip that we took, and she asked me to write about it. And so I wrote about it, but then I had left out that we had gone to a little fast food restaurant. So she added that to it, and I was so hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was interesting that we had gone to Arby's, you know. Exactly. Yeah, so, so there was that, and then um, in college, I joined, of course, you know, it was sort of natural, I joined the, the newspaper staff. Well, first I was a staff writer, you of course had to move up, and when my first piece was supposed to come out, for some reason they had to hold it for a week. Oh dear. And I was horrified that it didn't come out. I thought, does that mean it's horrible? What's going on? And so I, I talked to the editor and I'm like, what happened? She's like, oh, it'll come out next week. So that was another sort of progression. And then, you know, it was from there. What, what was your first paid piece of writing? Yes. Um, I have to think. I believe it was for a, a women's magazine. I don't even know if it's still around now, but sort of one of these... Um, life accounts like you know a, a bad date or something like that <laughs> and i think it was 75 dollars i was so happy because i was oh. almost all got paid <laughs> my my yeah. first um check is is still um framed in my office and that was for ten dollars for a film review <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> but right <laughs> but it's wonderful when when you get it because that's when you've got that label that's the incentive you need to, to carry on and in your case it was well I've been paid for one piece of writing I think I can do more um exactly. so you're you're first, the first time you had an idea for this because you this is your debut novel we're talking about now that's coming yeah. out um the the idea when it first came to you I mean how many years are we talking about because some people have an idea and they just put it under the mat get on with life or whatever and then maybe later when they have time they'll look at it again so when did this idea first hit you well, that's a, a bit of a complicated story first i should say that i decided to go back to college after my children were grown and while there i took a class and the professor put up well first of all i should say i had taken a class on um what it was called the painted word and it was basically what we're talking about here. It was, you know, the Susan Vreeland book, the luncheon uh, of the boating party, uh, uh, Lydia Cassatt reading the morning paper, that sort of thing. So I, I discovered this genre of art fiction and I fell in love. Well, in this other class I was taking, the professor put up a painting by Manet um, called Olympia, which is of course his probably best known painting. And as I was staring at it, I had learned from that other class to really take um, art more seriously in, in a different way to really examine it and so as he has this painting up I'm looking at it and I'm thinking you know he describes it and then he has to go on because he has a slideshow yeah. but I felt like that painting had more to tell I was like this isn't just a quote prostitute you know of course she was meant to look that way in real life she wasn't and so I just became fascinated well after I finished up my degree my bachelor's degree I went on to a creative writing program to get my MFA from Spalding University. And as part of the program, of course, you're writing all the time, um, but I decided to take a longer route. They had, um, it's a low residency program, so you get together about two weeks a year. And uh, I chose the abroad option because I'm like, why not? I get to go and visit all these wonderful places. 
Well, it just so happened that year the residency was in Paris. And so I was able to go to D'Orsay and see this painting and so examine it. Yeah, and I fell in love all over again. And I'm like, I have to know more about this person. And so it went from there. So that was, I believe, 2012. And I can tell you more about the speed of the process when, when you're ready for that. <laughs> when, I mean, have you always had a love for the, the art or was it that professor at the time that, yeah. that something just clicked and something just got you? Um, you know, I have always loved art. As I look back, I always access the art around me, but I didn't always have access to art. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. for instance, our church had some, some painting, or actually just prints of paintings, and I would stare at those. And then uh, the family Bible, there would be, you know, pictures in that. Any books that I could get with pictures, I would look at them, paintings, pictures, whatever. But I didn't realize how much I loved it until I got married, and my husband and I went to an art museum for the first time time and it, it's relatively small I mean it's a larger one in our area but then I was seeing these paintings I had seen in an art appreciation class I had taken at a community college where I was taking dual enrollment I was taking high school classes and uh, some college classes at the time and I had taken this art appreciation class and I thought oh this is amazing but I'll never get to go see this this or this and I've actually pretty much seen everything that I saw in that class mm -hmm. now at this point so you've you've combined your two passions art and writing into writing this first uh, novel so why don't you tell us about the novel yes um the model is victory moran and uh she was well manet called her edouard manet called her his favorite model and he used her for nine or ten maybe more paintings but those are the ones we for sure know about um and we don't know a lot about her um, you know, we, we know just a few things, uh, a sort of, I call it a sort of memoir slash biography was written by Eunice Lipton in, I believe, the late 90s, I believe. And um, she couldn't find out a whole lot. And I do realize there's more scholarship going on at this point. I think some more things are being discovered, but can't say a whole lot about those just yet. Uh, but pr some pretty exciting things. But um, the thing that I found the most intriguing was not only was she a model, but she was also a painter and that happened after she and Manet had worked together um, there was some sort of split between them and unfortunately it's not recorded what happened but rumor so much rumor you know so many rumors we have to sort of pick and choose and uh, so rumor had it that um, he of course was becoming more experimental more on the modernist edge and she was really more of the realist she preferred sort of the traditional mm. um, and so uh, they, she kind of went her way and he went her, she went hers, he went his, and um, she actually did go to art school, we know that, and she had at least four paintings in the Paris Salon, which of course the Salon, you know, you weren't a real painter unless you showed your work in the Salon, and so I think she's a fascinating character. So you've, you've taken historical, real historical dates and um, actual things that have happened of this um, person and but put it into your own story. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So but it is historical fiction as well. Yes. What sort of, I mean, are we talking drama, romance, thriller? What, what, have, you, what have you done with it? Um, 
Um, well, very much literary fiction. I call it thinky fiction. <laughs> um, it's very dramatic. I mean, I took some of the rumors and I made them into scenes. Um, there are scenes where she's dating a boxer. She falls in love with him. Um, of course, she's always, she's critiquing art. You know, as Monet is trying to paint, she's asked, she's like interrogating him. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? What are you trying to say? Um, and we do know that she was actually, uh, she was a musician, so she taught and played guitar and violin. Um, so there are scenes of that, you know, obviously she loved art, or she loved music. Um, there are scenes of in the catacombs. Uh, and there are other artists, um, you know, she has some assignations with other artists. Uh, some people think that maybe she and Monet had a relationship, you know, like a, a romantic relationship. Did you, I really that in? you didn't put that in your book then? I didn't, no. And also, uh, you know, some people try to say that she was a prostitute. I don't see that she was. I see that she was someone who Manet used to make his statements of society at the time. Um, the kind of uh, paintings, when you say statements of society, are we talking mm -hmm. nudes here or just straight oh. portraits? <laughs> yes, um, so he would condemn society as in Olympia being this huge nude that just horrified society when they saw it because, you know, Victorine as Olympia is staring straight at the audience and that was not done, first of all, you know, if you did a nude, it was to represent, you know, a goddess or someone, a historical figure. You didn't do, you know, uh, an actual human being, you know, and she certainly didn't stare at you. And it was a way of saying, you know, to society, you know, a lot of the men would frequent prostitutes. Yeah, so he's like, uh-huh, we know what you do in secret. But, but like you say, she's just she was a very very talented artist not just mm -hmm. a painter a model a musician uh, she she had it in her blood to do those things did she become uh, as famous in the end or uh, unfortunately you know history has kind of forgotten her uh, that's one of my goals that's one of the reasons i i wanted to write this is I have just been so taken with her as a person and uncovering who she is to me, what we do know about her and sort of put her back in her place. I call her, I want to put her into history, you know? <laughs> that, that's wonderful that you, you, you're bringing her back to life. Um, I have to ask you, it's, 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 um, the eye line, I'm trying to look at you, but all I'm seeing is this painting beside you. <laughs> Tell me, yes. tell me about this painting. Sure. Uh, this was a very early painting um, in the 18, probably 1863, that Manet did of Victorine. Um, and, you know, opinions vary as to whether or not this was the first painting he did of her. I tend to think it was because it's so demure and it so much looks, there's actually a photograph of her in this outfit that I assume maybe he used as a basis. Um, but it's so demure. She's so young. She's like 17 or 18. And I have to think that this was probably the first one he did because from there they just go, they get wilder and wilder. She's taking off her clothes and she's, you know, whatever. Wow. wow. I wonder what made it go from that to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, in my book, she's a wild child. She's someone who knows her mind. She's determined that men aren't going to shut her out from art that she is going to go. She, she's poor. Her parents are poor. She has a bad relationship with her mother. 
uh, and she's like, I don't care. This is going to happen. And so she privileges art. Like, so art becomes a religion and it, it takes the place of a relationship to her. It's and just that important. The, do you think the modeling paid for her art? Basically, she was doing the modeling, so she had the money to be able to do her own paintings because they weren't cheap. The canvas, the paintings, the brushes, the paints. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, and she also sat for many other artists. Uh, we don't have a complete list, but you know we have rumors Degas that she sat for him once. Um, for Alfred Stevens, uh, she sat many times for him. Timeline wise, it kind of looks like once she started doing her art, she didn't sit as much because of course she was a little older. Not that she was old, but she was a little older. And so um, probably not quite as sought after, unfortunately, but I think that was part of it. But I think that really stoked the fires of art in her. So her father had a shop or she was around art quite a bit. Uh, her mother was a milliner, we're pretty sure as well. Again, not, not convinced, we're hoping that's the case. Um, and so art making is quite, you know, or hat making is quite an art in its you know self and her mother i have her of course you know i'm i'm making her up but her mother be you know quite artistic with her hats you know and, and she loves that her mother actually loves hat making a little more than her daughter probably <laughs> so how far are you into this book now how close are we to to actually seeing it published Yes, uh, well, it should be up for pre-order by the end of the month, so November 30th, and then the book birthday will be March 17th of 2020, so I'm very excited. That's actually my parents' anniversary, so I'm doubly excited. Uh, my dad has passed on, but still, it's a wonderful way to sort of remember him. Oh, how wonderful. And the cover, is it an actual um, painting of her that you've been able to get permission to use? Yes, yes, it's actually in the public domain. It's um, Victorine, um, Mademoiselle Victorine in the um, outfit of a, of a torador. Wow. I can't say it very well. Yeah, so she's a bullfighter. Yeah, and I thought that's what a wonderful painting to put on the cover of her in action. I mean, she just, she was such a dynamic person, even if you just go by the paintings. And I just, I've just fallen in love with her. And have you, because your pre-orders out, um, you're a debut author, um, the first rule of thumb is to get a following. Have you started mm -hmm. uh, getting a club together, getting your beta yes. readers, getting your readers ready for this book? Have you started putting pieces yes. out? I'm really I'm very blessed to have gone to an MFA program where we're all pretty close. So that's sort of the beginning, of course. Um, I love to be on Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. And so that's a place that I've sort of begun amassing people, if you will. And I've started a newsletter. And I don't have a lot of subscribers yet, but I feel like that will be a lot of fun to reach out and connect with people and to share writing news and art history tidbits and all of that. Um, start to agree with her, definitely, on Facebook, um, mm -hmm. whether it's um, to um, a fan group for her or the paintings, or mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. a fan group for your books. Either way, you can then go on to um, these uh, art groups. You're not promoting mm -hmm. your book there. You're joining in with discussions, eventually sure, yeah. you get to know people. Yes. It mm -hmm, takes mm -hmm. time, 
But sure. is that following that's then going to go out and buy the book, review the book, and get your next book when it comes out? Perfect. Yes. Well, I should say I have started a Facebook group, but it's so new. I actually don't think about it much at this point. It's called The Painted Word. It's like historical and fiction writers, because that's one gap I really see is that authors and readers, you know, there aren't a lot of places where they can just talk about the things they love because so many groups will say, oh, we don't want you to talk about your writing because of the spam situation. This you know, is a place to talk uh, with other authors about the genre that you write in because it is niche. Um, don't yes. forget about it. Don't leave it on the wayside. You need to start mm -hmm. working on that group, getting members, get it going, start posting on it, ready for when your pre-order comes out. Perfect. Great idea. Thank you for that tip. I love You're it. You're welcome. But uh, more important than anything is to join as many of the art groups uh, the, oh, yes. the classic art groups um, right. that uh, are on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have, um, yes. I'm inundating them. Good, <laughs> I love it. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, but make sure that they know who you are. Make sure that you answer posts. Make sure that you're, you're on there regularly before you start talking about your book. Of course, yes. Well, and I enjoy what I'm, you know, seeing. I exactly. I love seeing, you know, new artists and that sort of thing. So even if I didn't have a book coming out, I would love to be a part of the group. So yeah, that makes that's, sense. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I wish you lots and lots of luck with your debut novel. Uh, thank please you. Please me if you need any help. I will send you a service sheet anyway to show you all the stuff that I can help you with. Sure. If you're you're new to this.